I'm Jim Jeffrey, and one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and um, listening to the words of that last song, I'm just thinking about how many things may be going on in your lives, and some that I'm aware of, some I'm not, but where you're carrying some burdens and you're facing things in your life that can really shake your confidence. I wanted you to know that today, as we open the Word of God and we share it together, at the end of this time, I want you to be able to realize that you can live this week with confidence because of Jesus' qualifications to be your great high priest. Maybe you've never connected those things, but I hope you'll see that connection in the Word of God so that it actually will, will fill your sail with fresh wind as you need that confidence that God can give. I know in my life, there's been all kinds of things that would take away confidence. There's, there's suffering, there's trials, there's temptations, there's grief, there's pressures, there's stresses, all of those kind of things that go on in our lives. And many of you are facing those things. But if you realize that, that because you can't trust in yourselves to face that, and that's one of the first realities, you cannot in yourself face those challenges. But you don't have to because Jesus is your great high priest. But you need to have a great high priest who's qualified. Now think about this for a minute. Supposing your doctor said to you, I think you better see a heart surgeon. That's kind of hard news to get, right? That'll shake your confidence. And you go in to see the, the, the heart surgeon and the, all the tests have been done and, and you're wanting to know, is he qualified? So you ask a few questions and he says, well, I just graduated from med school and just finished my residency. I've never done open heart surgery before, but I've watched it on YouTube. It can't be that hard. I think I'd want not just a second opinion, I'd want another doctor, wouldn't you? I want to have somebody qualified if they're going to do surgery on this ticker, right? You want that too. You need someone qualified to be your great high priest. And I want to tell you, in my life, I have needed that and I still need it. But you can live with confidence. You can live with confidence no matter what you're facing because Jesus is fully qualified. He exceeds the qualifications to be your great high priest. In all of the world religions, there is this idea of priesthood. You can look at Islam, you can look at Hinduism, you can look at Judaism, you can look at uh, the, the religion of Buddha, you can look at all of those, and they have some function of priesthood. Why? Because innately within the, the heart and soul of mankind, that whatever their concept of God is, however wrong or right that is, they recognize that I need someone to bridge that gap between me and God. You go back to the Old Testament, and the patriarchs actually functioned as priests over their household and tribes. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob erected altars, offered sacrifices, and prayed. As you, Job did the same thing over his family. As you move into the Old Testament, when the, when the law of Moses is written, there is now a formalized priesthood over the tribes. The tribe of Levi is set apart as the priestly tribe. And the household of Aaron is now established as the high priest. And, and God gives specific responsibilities about sacrifice and prayer and worship that they are to actually do. Um, the, the book of Leviticus is the priest's handbook. And so as that begins to happen, we realize that this idea of priesthood is very important. The book of Hebrews that we're into right now you have Jewish believers who have now become followers of Christ and, and they're being persecuted sometimes by other Jews 
And, and part of the mockery and scorn is you guys don't have a priesthood anymore because you've walked away from that. What some of them didn't realize is that in just a few years from the time this book is written, the book of Hebrews, they're going to actually face the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Roman general Titus. No temple, no priesthood. It's going to all be gone. And he's really establishing here that there is a greater priesthood because Jesus is better. Jesus is the perfect one. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. He's better as the ultimate revelation of God. He is better than angels because he's the son of God. He's better than Moses or Joshua and the rest he offers. And now he's going to kind of hone in on this idea that Jesus is better in his priesthood. Matter of fact, he's already established that. If you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, I want you to just see at the end of that chapter, he's already established this theme as a part of the book. Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful, and I'll catch this, high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That means a wrath-absorbing sacrifice for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help us. That's us when we face temptation. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, look at Jesus, think about Jesus, the apostle, and again, the high priest of your confession. So he's now talked about Jesus as the high priest. When you come to chapter 4, kind of a transition out of the focus on rest He's going to now kind of create a stitch into what's coming. And in chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, the text we're looking at today. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only one called by God, as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He says in another place, you are a, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would open our, our hearts and our minds and our lives to your very word. Holy Spirit, as you inspired the author of Hebrews to record and to write this so that we would have it preserved for us, would you now be our teacher and unfold your word 
write it upon our hearts, transform our lives. And God, whatever we're facing in our life right now that's, that's taking the wind out of our confidence sails, may you fill it with fresh wind. May we walk away from here knowing that because Jesus is our great high priest, that we can face life with confidence. It's in his name that we pray, amen. This theme of Christ being our great high priest becomes a major focus of this part of the book of Hebrews. Really, from the end of chapter 4 all the way to the end of chapter 10, he's going to focus on this, how Jesus is the, is, it has greater, um, greater role as our high priest because of who he is and the qualifications he has, because he has a greater order and a greater covenant and greater promises and a greater sacrifice and a greater tabernacle that he is qualified to be your great high priest and to be my great high priest. And it's interesting that how this whole section of Hebrews, starting in chapter 4 and ending at the end of chapter 10, he starts and ends with this idea of confidence. Like bookends, he begins with talking about confidence and he ends this section talking about confidence. We saw it right in chapter 4. He said, let hold fast our, our confession, verse 14. Let's draw near with confidence, verse 16. And all the way into chapter 10, listen to what he says in verse verse 19 of chapter 10. Since we have confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering because he that promised is faithful. Verse 35, therefore don't throw away your confidence. So the author of Hebrews brackets this whole section on priesthood with beginning and ending talking about living with confidence. He then moves into chapter 11, which is a great faith chapter, talking about living with confidence. So God is wanting us to see something, friends, that we can live with confidence because Jesus is our great high priest. Don't miss this. This is a big idea in the book of Hebrews, kind of a central idea in what he's going to talk about. You and I can live with confidence. Now why? What does Jesus' high priestly ministry really have to do with this? First of all, we can live with confidence because Christ exceeds the qualifications as your mediator. A mediator is one who goes between. It is like the bridge person. We we think of the Mackinac Bridge, bridging the lower and upper peninsula, but we need someone to bridge between us and God. Because God is a holy God and a righteous God, a God who has to deal with sin, and yet we're very human and very broken, and we need somebody to be able to bridge that, to bridge between. And so there, there are three roles in the Old Testament where you had somebody mediating between God and people. King, mediating the rule of God. Prophet, mediating the word of God. And priest, mediating through sacrifice, access to God. And so those roles were mediator roles that, that there needed to be. We need a priest, though, who's both God and man. And we need a a, a priest who in his humanity is sinless and doesn't have the taint of sin that we have. That's kind of the point that he's making here when he talks in chapter chapter 5 about the priest who has, has obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. We need a priest that's not like that. And Jesus is called the Son of God. Matter of fact, his in his humanity, in verse 14, he's called Jesus. Verse chapter 5, verse um, 1, every high priest chosen from among men. That's his humanity. And, and Jesus is fully man, fully human. 
and yet without sin. That's what Hebrews 2.18 says. On the other hand, Jesus is fully God. Matter of fact, we're told he is, in chapter 4, verse 14, the Son of God. And verse, chapter 5, verse 1, he acts on behalf of men in relationship to God. In, in chapter 2, verse 5, we're told that he is called by the Father, the Son of God. So, so get this picture. Jesus is fully human and yet without sin and fully God at the same time and therefore can mediate between men and God like no other person can. That's why every other world religion falls down at this point. Because we need that kind of mediator, and only Jesus. He exceeds the qualifications as mediator. We all can also can have confidence because Jesus exceeds the qualifications in his appointment. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. The author says, No one takes this honor, this honor of being high priest for himself, but only when he's called by God. And Aaron was established as high priest. God selected the tribe of Levi... God selected the household of Aaron and said the Levitical tribe is going to be the priestly tribe. That's why we have a book in the Old Testament called Leviticus, tribe of Levi, priestly handbook. And Aaron was established to be the high priestly family coming from, from him in the order. Now here's something that happened though. After the Old Testament was written, before the New Testament was written, there began to be a corruption in the priesthood because the priestly line stopped of Aaron. And so it became a very political and very corrupt priesthood. And everybody in Judaism knew it. It hadn't really followed the Old Testament. And Jesus is also a priest, but we're told in verse, um, in verse 6, quoting Psalm 100, verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 10, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what's that about? Some of, the, some of the Jews that were persecuting these Christians were saying, you don't even have a priest after the order of Melchizedek, from the family of Melchizedek. you got a big problem. And that's true. Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of David, the kingly tribe. So they're, they're kind of in your face about that. And so the author of Hebrews is going to address that issue and that objection. He's saying, let me tell you that Jesus actually has a higher order than Aaron. Because Aaron has already been corrupted and set aside. He's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we say, who in the world is Melchizedek? You've probably never met anybody named Melchizedek in your entire life. We meet Melchizedek in Genesis 14 when Abraham has rescued Lot and his family and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's coming back and he's in a territory that we now know to be Jerusalem. He encounters this individual whose name Melchizedek. His name literally means king of righteousness. He's also referred to as king of Salem, Jerusalem, which means king of peace. He's also given the role as priest. He offers to Abraham, actually offers him tithes. And in response, Melchizedek offers to him bread and wine almost kind of pre-shadowing what the Lord's table is to us. So Melchizedek has this unique role where he is both king and priest. And anybody in the Old Testament that would take that role on, like King Uzziah did, winds up getting in big trouble with God. You can't be a priest and become a king, or become a king and become a priest. But he's saying Melchizedek is both. 
And he has an everlasting priesthood without beginning or ending of days. And the author of Hebrews is going to make a big deal about this in the chapters to come. That Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek because he's both king and priest. He's king of righteousness. He's king of peace. He has a higher order than that of Aaron. So he's qualified. He exceeds the qualifications. We can have confidence also because Jesus exceeds the qualifications in his compassion. I'll tell you, I really, really love this. I love this. Look at what it says, verse 15 of chapter 4. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. That word literally means to suffer with our weaknesses. But one is in every point tempted like we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus suffers with us. Jesus enters into the feelings that we have. A little bit later, it talks about the, the high priest that they were able, because of their humanity, in verse 2 of chapter 5, to deal gently with the ignorant, those who didn't know God and His Word, and the wayward, those that were straying from God, since he himself is beset with weakness. So one of the qualifications of a high priest is that he could sympathize with the needs of the people. And here we see Jesus does. You know, there's, there's something in a friendship or in a marriage when you sit down with another person who's just there to listen and to enter into your suffering, to enter into what it is you're struggling with, and to listen with heart, to not interrupt, not to, not to uh, clarify, not to make your story their story, but just to enter in with compassion. And in those moments when that happens in your life, and I hope you have friends like that, I happen to be married to a wife like that, for which I am deeply grateful. And when you enter into that and that compassion, that suffering with, that entering in, there is something in your soul that's saying, I can now live with greater confidence because there's somebody here that understands me. But when that someone who understands you is God, that, <laughs> that's a good day, friends. There is nothing that you are feeling, there is nothing that you're suffering with, there's nothing that you're struggling with that Jesus does not care about. I promise you that. Jesus wept at a funeral. Jesus entered into human suffering at every level, and he still does. He's called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And friends, that is so incredibly encouraging. You can face confidence because Jesus Jesus enters into that with compassion. You can face confidence because of the qualifications of his sacrifice. The author of Hebrews is going to focus a great deal on this in chapters 9 and 10 because he's going to talk about how all of the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament are now fulfilled in Christ in the shedding of his blood, the once-for-all sacrifice that put away sin. That when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was, was ripped from top to bottom, that he fulfilled that, that that sacrifice completed the need for sacrifice. And so he talks about that. Jesus According to chapter 5, verse 1, the high priest had to offer sacrifices and gifts for sins. And then he, in verse um, 3, the high priest had to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Jesus didn't need to do that, as he does for those of the people. You see, one of the main responsibilities of the high priest is to offer sacrifice. Friends, I just want to tell you something. You need a sacrifice for your sin that you can never offer but Jesus did. When Jesus died on the cross, he satisfied the demands of a holy God. He extinguished the wrath of God. He provided forgiveness of sins. 
He makes it possible for us to be declared righteous before God, to be cleansed of our guilt and shame. Jesus, by his sacrifice, does that. You can live with confidence because Jesus exceeds the qualifications in his sacrifice. He also exceeds the qualifications in his prayer. One of the things that a priest did is a priest prayed over the people. Actually, on his shoulders, he carried the names of six of the tribes. On his breastplate, he had the 12 names of the tribes showing that he was interceding for them, carrying their burdens and their concerns, and Jesus does that for us. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4. Let's come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. We do that in prayer, that we might experience the mercy and the grace of God in our time of need. And friends, you're not going to go through this week without a time of need. You're not going to go through a time when you don't struggle with something. And he invites you to bring that into his presence. Friends, when you bring your needs into his presence, you're bringing it where it can do the most good and the least harm where you can get the help that you need. We're told that Jesus, in verse 7, in the days of his flesh, during his incarnate ministry here, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweat drops of blood. He prayed with such agony to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus, as a high priest, not only makes our way of prayer accessible, but he actually prays for us. He prays, and in the garden, he was praying in agony, and he modeled prayer. He taught prayer. He gave promises of prayer to his disciples. So our access to God in prayer is through Jesus. When we pray in Jesus' name, that's not just a little tagline. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying because of the access that he provided through his cross and his resurrection. And friend, that gives us confidence. That will fill your sail of confidence. We also see that Jesus prays for us even now in heaven. Hebrews 7.25 said he ever lives to make intercession for you. I'm sure that you could agree with me that when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, by the way, know what you're going through and I'm praying for you. I mean, isn't that an encouragement to you? How many is that? That's an encouragement to you when someone says, I'm praying for you. It does me. It happened just this week several times. But friends, I want to tell you, Jesus is praying for you. Say it out loud. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for me. One more time. Jesus is praying for me. You say, how do you know that? In John chapter 17, we have the prayer of Jesus, and he prays this, Father, I don't pray for these alone, meaning my 12, but for them also who will believe on me through their word. Jesus, before he went to the cross, prayed for you and me, and he still does. He intercedes for us. So our great high priest, we can have confidence because he exceeds the qualifications in his prayers. He also exceeds the qualifications in his obedience, and that matters. That matters. Look what we read in verse 8 of chapter 5. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned, and he learned obedience, and he learned obedience through suffering. Maybe you're shocked at the reality that Jesus learned, because as God we know he's omniscient and knows everything, and that's true. But as man, Jesus learned. The last verse of Luke chapter 2 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. You know what that's saying? Jesus, as a boy, as a man, learned. Now you try to wrap your mind around that. I can't. As God, he knows everything. As a little baby and as a boy and as an infant and as a young man, he's learning. 
but he did. And he learned obedience to the Father. Philippians chapter 2 said he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he learned obedience through suffering. Friends, we will suffer and we do suffer. The question is, are we learning through our suffering? What is God trying to teach us? Well, if you suffer, God is trying to shape you and teach you and instruct you through suffering. Jesus learned obedience. We can learn obedience as we face suffering. Matter of fact, he encourages us to do that right in this very passage. He said he, be he became perfect and he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. God doesn't want to waste suffering in your life. He wants to teach you something. And sometimes that teaching is to help you live a life of greater submission to him and greater obedience to him. There's other reasons for suffering too. But you can, Jesus exceeds the qualifications in his obedience. And finally, Jesus exceeds the qualifications in his salvation. Look at verse, verse 9 and, uh, again. And being made perfect... That means being made complete in the moral sense, being, uh, fulfilling the purpose for which he came, being made perfect, Jesus, as our great high priest, being made perfect, became the source, the author of eternal salvation. Salvation that will last forever, that is unending, that is full and complete, Jesus became the provider of eternal salvation. So we can have confidence because the salvation Jesus offers is full and complete and lacking nothing. So on the one hand, I would say to you, friends, if you are depending upon or trusting in your ability to do good works, if you're trusting in your baptism and your denomination, if you're trusting in your ability to please God or to keep the Ten Commandments, then I want to tell you, cease and desist. That doesn't work. You can never satisfy God's demands because of your works, because it doesn't deal with your past sins. And you don't have the ability to live that life consistently apart from his help. But here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross and he was nailed there, he said, it is finished. The price is paid. It's complete. And so you can have confidence because the salvation that Jesus provided is full and complete. And friend, that's good news. So where's your sail today? Are you sitting out in the water and there's not even a ripple? And maybe you're discouraged and you're hurting. You're struggling with some trials and decisions you have to make this week, problems at work, problems at home, financial problems, physical problems, temptation problems, suffering problems. And your sail is just empty. I want to tell you that God wants to fill that sail for you through the person of his son, Jesus Christ who is your great high priest. And friends, he's more than enough. He's more than enough that for whatever you are facing. He's more than enough for your faith. He's more than enough for your salvation. He's more than enough for your prayer. And I would implore you, turn to him. Turn to him. If you've never trusted him personally to be your savior, your great high priest, then I invite you to him. I invite you to come to him in prayer and say, God, my life is broken. I need you. I repent of my sin and I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, as my great high priest. He bridges the gap between you and God and no one else can. 
As a believer in Jesus Christ, whatever you're struggling with, you can bring to your great high priest. He invites you to come to the throne of grace. We have a prayer room back to the left there where people are ready to pray with you. There's others in our church that will do that. We want you to know you not only got a great high priest, you have a church that cares about you and wants to demonstrate that. That can fill your sail with confidence no matter what you're facing. Let's pray together. Right now, before I pray, I want you to just, in a sentence or two, the quietness of your own heart, I want you to just pray. And say, Lord, the thing that is taking the wind out of my sail right now is, and you name it, whatever it is you're facing right now. And then say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are my great high priest, that you're more than enough, that you meet all the qualifications. And I come to you with my need. I ask for your grace and mercy. Meet me in my brokenness. Meet me in my need. Because you are my one and only source of confidence. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.